Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. Today's guest is professional boxer Jamal Shango James. In our discussion, we talk about the incredible physical and mental resilience required to make a living as a fighter. A native of Minneapolis, Shango endured the pandemic that almost disrupted his career and social unrest when George Floyd was murdered just blocks from where he lives and trains. On August 8, 2020, Shango became a world champion, winning the WBA welterweight title. He candidly shares how he felt when he lost the title 15 months later and how representing his family and community fuel him to pursue the title again. This episode of 12 Geniuses is brought to you by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head over to thestarconspiracy.com. Shango, welcome to 12 Geniuses. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, man. Let's start with your career. Tell us about some of your highlights and when you got started boxing. Yeah, man, I got started when I was five years old is when I was introduced, you know, in the gym and started learning how to box and stuff like that. I didn't start competing in amateur boxing until I was eight years old. And then I turned uh, professional in 2009. And, and uh, it's been a journey, man. You know, it's been a journey. At the time that I was fighting professional, you know, boxing had kind of died down in the state. It wasn't as big in Minnesota. But yeah, I was, you know, I had a great amateur career as well. I was ranked number one in the nation in my weight class as an amateur. Got to go to the USA Olympic camp a few times. I wasn't able to do any international competitions because I got to ask you to do that. And I kind of got dealt a bad hand my last year as an amateur on some kind of close fights. It didn't feel close to me, not even really close fights. You know, it's politics and everything. So after that, I was just like, man, I'm just going to turn pro. And then, you know, we went through our ups and downs as pros. But once I got signed with Al Heyman, who was my manager, who also runs uh, Premier Boxing Champions, then my career just skyrocketed from there. What was your amateur record? It was roughly like 150 amateur fights. I think I won. I, I think I'll, I'll say I think I lost around 20 of them, give or take. And what's your record as a professional? As a professional? Oh, man, I got to look it up again. I think I'm 20. I think I'm 28 and two or 27 and two. You're either 28 and two or 29 and two. So it's probably oh, 28, 28 and 29. Two. Yeah, 28 <laughs> no and two, draws. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so. yeah, no draws, nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so an impressive career. You're a very humble man because you didn't really tell us about any of the highlights, uh, winning a belt. And so it, walk us through. Oh, yeah, w- yeah. Walk us through. You won your first 20 fights in a row, right? Yeah, man. It was, you know, when you're when you start off as a pro lease, I wasn't able to do any international competitions or being an Olympian. My original goal was to be in the Olympics, you know. I really wanted to be an Olympian. I really wanted to bring back a medal. This would have been 2008? Yeah, what were you yeah that would have been 2008. That's what I was shooting for, or even the following Olympics and uh, what would that have been, 12, 2012? Mm-hmm. But once I missed the 2008 one, and I just kind of see, seen the hand that I was getting dealt as an amateur, I figured that, you know, I might as well just turn pro, you know, and then I can make a couple bucks. And I, I ended up turning pro in 2009. I wanted to ask you how you got interested in boxing. You said you started at five. and Yeah, you I know mean, what? That's, that's pretty, pretty young for... Well, maybe I'm wrong. No, it's young. My mom brought me down to the gym when I was five because at the time, her and my biological father, you know, was going through some stuff. 
and he's always been in my life and stuff like that. So it wasn't like he was absent, but you know, they were going through some stuff and he wasn't living in the home with us. She didn't want me getting caught up in the wrong crowd or nothing. Cause I was a little bit of a steamer when I was young, when I had like a temper. <laughs> so she would bring me down to the to a circle of discipline, which is the gym I still train out of, which is a nonprofit organization and stuff like that. But bo- we, they use boxing to kind of mentor the kids uh, and still discipline, you know, and give them some, some guidance, stuff like that at a young age, which they did for me. I just happened to be really good at boxing. I just happened to like kind of take into the sport, you know. But she brought me down there and right away I kind of fell in love with the place because, you know, you hear the speed bag going, you hear the music going, you know, I see all the, all these older guys and, and, and men and stuff like that, you know, looking the same color as me and very inviting, you know, they weren't like all standoffish. What's up, little buddy? You know, they are showing me how to do stuff. And I just kind of fell in love with it, you know, and then I started, you know, training and learning. And I was one of those kids where I would like stay on something until I got it. You know what I mean? So I, I remember I was probably working on a speed bag for like an hour and a half straight until I finally got the rhythm and was able to do it. And when I finally got it, I did it uh, 15 minutes more after I knew I got it. And when I stepped down, the whole gym just stopped and applauded for me, you know, because they just sat there and just see me just staying on it like that, you know. So that was kind of cool. That was a memorable thing. And it just felt you know, like family down there and it felt like love. And I just liked what boxing kind of gave me. It allowed me to control my emotions better. Cause like I said, I was kind of one of those kids who was easily angered. I had a temper, you know, as I got older, I was, you know, uh, slightly a little bit of a pretty boy and stuff like that too, you know? So I got like a certain amount of attention, some, uh, some or a good amount wasn't good attention. And it taught me how to maneuver through all those type of things that kind of come to you at a very young age. So I didn't really have to worry about bullying too much. I didn't have, I was able to stay out the way because I was able to read certain situations, you know, as far as going to house parties or in school, kid, you know, something was happening. Instead of trying to be all in a mix, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and cool it out. I'm going to go to class. Yes. You know? And it kind of just helped guide me to the place I'm at now, which I'm very thankful, you know. And then I decided to try to do it as a career when I noticed that I was winning all those amateur tournaments and and it was working out for me. You mentioned working on the speed bag and, and staying after it until you got it. And that's an example of resilience. A exactly. lot of, you, it seems like you were pretty young when you did that. And a lot of kids would get frustrated and quit. So maybe you had some built-in resilience. But I, I wonder since we're dedicating this season to the topic of resilience, if you have a definition of what that is, what, what's your definition of resilience? You know, my definition of resilience is to now not allow yourself to be broken by anything. You know what I mean? You come back. Life throws all sorts of obstacles at you. Sometimes you take hits. Sometimes you, you, you fall back some steps, but you don't let that defeat you. You know what I mean? You realize, okay, that didn't work out for me, but I'm going to make, I know what I want, where I'm trying to go. So I'm going to always come back and figure it out until I get to my ultimate goal. And that's a definition of resilience for me. That's what, how I feel, you know, something, nothing is going to stop you from getting to your ultimate goal. Might take you longer than you intended, might be harder than you intended, but it didn't persuade you otherwise. It didn't stop you from, from getting there. 
So you mentioned being able to take hits yeah. and that's a, a metaphor, but it's actually in boxing. It actually happens taking hits. And so you have to brush that off. But I wonder how you feel about avoiding hits. Yeah, I mean, the best, you know, one of the first things I was taught was the best form of a block is not to be there. The whole art of boxing is to hit and not get hit, you know, or get hit as few times as you can. But in order to do that, you have to be smart. You know, when I look at it that way, then that's like, okay, you need to take your time. You need to study. You need to be very smart. That's why I didn't put it in my definition of resilience. But most definite, you know, it's part of it. And every setback, you should learn from it so you don't do that same mistake again. So can you give me an example of when you've had to demonstrate either in the ring or in life, great resilience? Most definite, man. There's been uh, many numerous times, many chances, to I'm be sure. honest with you. Um, I fought a guy the first time, really. I fought a guy named uh, Jojo Dan in New York, and he was uh, out of Canada. And he was a southpaw, and I went in there. And originally, I was supposed to fight like three weeks before that in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania. At the weigh-ins, the guy I was supposed to fight ended up passing out on the on the elevator because he couldn't make weight. He was oh trying gosh. so hard to make weight, and uh, he finally got down to the weight, but he passed out in the elevator. He had to take him to the hospital, so my fight was off. And at that time, it was one of those times where it's like, you know, I was working a job, and when I would have a fight, I would take time off from the job so I can focus specifically on my training. But it also meant that I need that fight because I'm budgeting that, that money to come in so, you know, I can pay these bills when I get done with the fight and then get back to work and stuff like that. And, you know, he passed out. The fight was off. Talked to my management like, yo, you know, well, I was really hoping to get this fight. So they were like, well, don't worry about it. We're going to get you on something real soon. So then I went back to the gym, but I'm thinking it was going to real soon meant like a month to two months away. You know what I mean? So I just stayed training. And I was sparred in the gym and I ended up spraining my ankle. I rolled it over, sprained it. And then like two days later, they called me like, yeah, we got to fight for you in like a week and a half. Or, or no, it was like oh, in two weeks. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's it? Well, yeah, we're going to take it. You know, I'm just going to wrap this up stay off of it. Let it heal real quick. We already in shape. Then we'll get in there. So I was in the fight. It was healed up or fairly healed up, I should say. And I was in the fight with Jojo Nan and I'm just kind of outboxing and whooping them, you know. Uh, I'm one of the tallest welterweights in my division, so I got a lot of height and I got a lot of range advantage. And he was, you know, a shorter southpaw guy, so I was just outboxing him. And he came in quick, and I did a move, and I sprained my ankle again all over. And then, the, you know, the round ended. I went back to the corner. What round is this? It was, like, kind of in an early fight. I believe it was a 10-round fight, and I believe that happened in, like, the third round. It was 10 rounds, and it went the distance. Yeah, it was, like, a 10. It was a 10-round fight, and it was, like, the third round, maybe fourth round. And I was like, man. And, you know, uh, my dad's giving me instruction, and I'm just like, well, you know, in my head, I'm listening to him, but in my head, it was like, do I tell him that my angle's messed up or not? Because there's only one or two things that's going to happen. Is, is you either can fight or you can't fight, you know? And I was just like, we're going to try it out at least for a few rounds. You know, if it's too much, then I'll just tell him, you know, my ankle's messed up. But I was like, no, we're going to make it happen. And I adjusted the way I fought so I couldn't move around and dance around like, like I was used to. So I just slowed my movement down. Like a Mayweather Ali, I tried to be more defensive on my upper body, stop the shots. And I went the distance and I beat him. But it definitely would made the fight a lot harder for me, too, because he was able to get in. 
he caught me with a nice body shot that I'll never forget. <laughs> Dang near made me want to take a knee, but I shook it off. I didn't get countered or nothing, but that, that, that definitely stung. So that was the first time, one of, one of those memorable times. And then, you know, the most recent time was when I won my title, actually. That was probably, you know, probably my most resilient fight, I would say, because... This is against Thomas DeLorme? Thomas DeLorme, because there was so much outside factors that was happening. Tell me about that. For that fight. Well, we had been training for the fight very hard. You know, we flew in some guys for sparring, you know, all the way from like Columbia and stuff to get some good sparring. We got a camp up north, so we was living in the camp. And then we got the call saying, hey, the fight's postponed. We don't know when it's going to happen because COVID hit. And that was when the whole COVID thing started. So this is a title fight. Title fight was about to happen. And then the pandemic hit. Then the pandemic hit. And so when were you training? Was this like January, February of 20? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe even like, yeah, maybe even a little bit before that, okay. you know. So we was like, man, what the heck? And, you know, when I'm in training camp, I'm like kind of zoned out from everything. I'm just focused on training, focused on the fight. So I'm not even understanding, you know, how big, <laughs> you know, the COVID uh, uh, pandemic's about to hit us. You know what I mean? So I'm like, what? You know, so we get back home um, and... Not only was that happening, but while we were waiting for that fight, you know, when we get a call, like maybe we could do it this date, but it'll get pushed back again or whatever else. We're trying to figure out a way to train through the pandemic. Wearing masks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's But, you know, at the same time, um, you know, the whole George Floyd thing was happened. And that was another thing, you know, George Floyd happened. And at the time, I was living just down the street from that, man. And so, like, you could hear the people, you know, well, well, that night that they, you know, tore up Lake Street, you could hear it. You know, we can, smoke is coming through right. the windows type right. of stuff. You know what I mean? Fires everywhere. That's fires everywhere. You know what I mean? So that was going on. And then right after that, you know, we had the gym right off Lake Street that, you know, they didn't touch because, you know, kind of known in the community and stuff like that. So. Even though they tore up Lake Street, they they left the gym alone. But instead of like, we couldn't have it open to train, you know, for for the public to train. So we ended up doing a food uh, shelf thing there. And we ended up getting a lot of food donations. We had people come, we bagged the food up, give them whatever they needed because that whole community was uh, tore down. You know, the grocery stores was out, the banks was out. There was no way for any... Uh, parents or elders to be able to get any type of food or, to, or any type of transportation or anything. So we thought that was the best way we could help. You know, we were just delivering food, allowing people to come and get food, and also taking people places where if they needed to go somewhere, if we had the manpower to do so. So that happened. That's, that's late May, early June of 2020. Exactly. And you fought in August 8th yeah. of 2020. Yeah, so we ended up- A lot up, of distractions. A lot. a lot of distractions, man. And we ended up going back up to the camp, you know, so we were in the camp and, uh, and we stayed training in the city as best we could. But then we went back to the camp when we know that we had a, an official date set. And then uh, 
my grandmother was going through some very rough health problems and ended up passing away mm. during it. You know, I was kind of close with her and, and that one was like kind of a big hit, you know, to me, to my family. Um, and, uh, you know, so all these things were just kind of playing in my mind, but, you know, I had my father up there, I had my team and I just was thinking like, man, you know, we need, you know, my grandmother would have wanted me to fight for it. And I felt like, you know, it's bigger than myself now. You know, there's so much craziness going on in my home, in my city right now. So much wild stuff. Like if I could bring back the belt to my city, you know, and then try to use that uh, to make a greater platform to, you know, bring some influence over on this side instead of this side. And that's, that's what's, that's going to be my goal. That's what I'm going to do. And that's where I allowed my head to be at. And we got in there and fought him and, and beat him and I'll box him. So how did you manage your emotions as you're going through all of that? Because that's a lot, right? You're expecting a title fight. COVID cancels it. There's some uncertainty around when the date is going to be rescheduled. George Floyd happens. Your community is disrupted by the protests and all of these types of things. Your grandmother passes. How did you manage through that? You know, emotionally, physically, spiritually, however, however you want to describe it. Yeah, I put that energy in my training. You know what I mean? I, I, I allowed myself to go through a lot of those emotions while I was training. Um, and, and allowed the stress to kind of roll off. So you just focused. And just focused hyper-focused on. Hyper-focused on your purpose. Yeah. Hyper-focused on the purpose. You know, if I'm hitting the bag, you know, then I might think about something like that. But I allow myself to do it and just punch through it, you know, like I'm punching it down. Uh, my wife, who's a therapist, she calls it trauma-informed. <laughs> trauma-informed exercise is what she calls it. Um, and that's, you know, without me knowing that that's what it was. That's what I was kind of doing, you know, just allow myself to go through it while I was training. And then when I got into, finally got there for the fight date, I didn't focus on winning the fight so much as I did just like, man, just leave everything in the ring, you know, give it your all, you know, listen to your corner. And that way, win, lose, or draw, you know, you know that you just put everything into it after going through all this stuff and I could accept whatever the outcome was. And I, and I was able to beat him and get that title. Physically, were you in the best shape of your life for that fight or did yeah. you? You were? Yeah, I was in, you know, um, I think the only thing we could have, we, we, didn't do, or I had like a shoulder problem as well. Wasn't like too bad, but it uh, uh, kind of messed up the way we do our strength training. So I think I could have been a little bit stronger for the fight, you know. But as far as cardio wise and as far as focus wise, energy, we're in the best shape. When you're training, what's your self talk like? It's a battle between two, the voices in your head, man. I got like two voices in my head, you know, when I'm training. One is the scary voice and one is the confident voice, you know. One is like, man, you sure you want to do this type of deal? The other one is like, man, quit being a punk. You know, that's how I talk to myself. <laughs> oh, you just acting like a punk now. You, What you even box for if you got to ask yourself these questions, you know, what you, and, and that voice, 
I allow that voice to win and it just like kind of makes me like, oh yeah, you know, gives me that grit. Like, yeah, you're right. You know, I ain't, ain't scared of nothing. I ain't, you know, ain't nobody, you know. Um, and I just start to focus on that voice more, you know. It's interesting you say that because you're a world title holder. You have fought 30 professional fights, 128 of them. That's a, that's a great record. And you still have doubt. And I think the, the reason why I bring this up is one time I was asked, you know, not too long ago, I'm 54 years old. A woman asked me, now, when did you get over uh, imposter syndrome? And I said, you know, give me your number. I'll tell you when I do. <laughs> because, right. you, you know, we all have that right. self-doubt. And it, I think it's confirming or re reassuring to hear you say that you have that self-doubt as well, but you just yeah. overcome it by this confidence. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, because again, you know, at the end of the day, it's a fight. It's boxing. I've seen guys highly more uh, 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 talented in the ring with a little way lesser talented opponent, but they'll still, they'll get beat. They'll be beating a guy the whole fight, but that guy is resilient, right? That guy has a strong willpower. He eats the punches he goes through and he ends up landing that one shot because that's all you need in boxing. You just need that one shot sometimes. And he'll knock, knock guys out. And that happens all the time in boxing. So even, you know, I would say uh, probably all fighters have it. They Some fighters will be more open in telling you it. Other fighters will try to mask it because they don't want to acknowledge that they do have it because that'll mess up, you know, their situated the, the way that they go into the fight or whatever, or how they view themselves. But nah, man, you know, ain't nobody invincible, you know, ain't nobody invincible. If, if they was and George Foreman would have beat Ali because <laughs> he was a man at the time. If he was, Ali would have never been beat by Frazier, you know, like nobody's invincible. Anything can happen, but it's not about being invincible. It's about being able to overcome that fear of knowing that you ain't invincible. That fear that you know you could get knocked out. You could be sitting here embarrassed in front of your family and friends, but instead, I ain't scared of that. You know what I mean? Because I know that I've trained this hard. I know I'm confident in my talent and in my skills that I'm willing to risk it for my family, for my friends, for my community, because, you know, being able to, being able to be victorious here allows me to be victorious elsewhere, you know? So getting back to self-talk, when the music is playing, when your music is playing and you're approaching the ring, what are you telling yourself? That's the, that's the scariest part right there. The walk up to the, for me, the walk up to the ring is the most scariest part because it's like, this is it, you know? Once you get in the ring, you can't turn back. So if you're going to run now, you better run, you know? So the walk up, I'm just like, all right, here we go. You know, I don't, I don't think about that part of it. I'm just like, all right, here we go. You know, and then once I get in the ring, though, then everything just switches over. Then Shango turns on and it's like, ain't no time to second guess nothing now. You know, hands up, chin down. And you come out here, keep your eyes sharp, let your hands go and listen to your corner. And that's what happens. That's what I try to do, you know. You mentioned a body shot you took from Jojo Dan during the fight. You yeah. still remember that. So uh, tell yeah. me, like, it was that just like a, you know, just like, just instantly in your brain, that feeling that 
Oh, or, yeah. or did you see that later people, in a tape? Or I like, love body shots. People call me the body snatcher. I love body shots. I've knocked out a lot of guys with body shots. And I love them so much because when you knock somebody out with a body shot, they're uh, fully conscious. And these are fighters with strong willpowers. So they know they're on the ground and they want so hard to get up to finish the fight, but you have totally paralyzed them. You hit them with a shot that took the life out of them, took the wind out of them. You know what I mean? So when you knock somebody out with a body shot, that was extremely well-placed and that was a hard shot. And that's why I remember that shot because I was actually getting ready to hit him with a body shot. Uh, and I was about to hit him with a right uppercut to the body because he's southpaw, right? So it's opposites. So I was hitting him a lot with those left hooks to the body, but usually this, the front side of your body that's facing your opponent, you know, tends to be able to take a little bit more damage for some reason. So I was like, I'm gonna reach, I'm gonna reach and hit him with that back one. And he loaded his up and he threw it, but I didn't see it because he loaded it up. So the way he was standing, I didn't see the punch coming. So I threw mine and that's when it whipped in right behind my punch. Boom. And when it hit me, I instantly stopped my punch in the middle of it, <laughs> brought my elbow in. And I leaned forward like I, like I wanted to take a knee, but I didn't. I, I sat down on my legs, leaned forward. And, and there's a trick they teach us where you put your forehead in their chest. You put it so close to them that it makes it really hard for them to hit you, you know, and it's kind of like a, a little hiding space, you know what I mean? So I just leaned into him and he's, you know, he's throwing all these punches and I leaned in and I'm just turned my head and let the punches roll off and stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to catch a breath because when you get hit with a hard body shot, it not only takes the wind out of you, but it makes it so you can't even take a breath in for a second. You have to like wait until something relaxes so you can actually be like, you know, and get a breath in. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, you know, rolling with the punches, you know, body's tight, thing is stinging. And then I, I can't remember if I grabbed him or if I got out of there somehow, but then I took a, a, took a deep breath. And, you know, I've also been training since I was a kid because it's the way we taught, you don't show any pain, you know? So, I, you know, even when I backed up, you know, I got this mean face on like, yeah, come on, bring it. But in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, dude, I can't, I need some breath. I need a quick breath, you know? And I'm just, you know, throwing a couple of jabs out, fainting them, I'm faking them uh, to make them nervous to come in and throw on Because if you would have jumped in and just started swinging on me, I would have been in a little bit of a tr in trouble. Because, you know, I can't even dance away and move because my leg is messed up, my, my ankle's twisted. Um, and that's what, that's why I was like, well, that was one of those times where I like really, <laughs> you know what I mean? I really bluffed the, bluffed the card hand and came out on top. One more question about self-talk. And I wonder what you're saying to yourself in between rounds. And I know there's probably, it seems like a lot of chaos with the trainer and the cut man and all this different activity going on. But what are you saying to yourself in between rounds? No, you know, I'm not saying too much of nothing. You know, uh, I'm listening to my just listening. Okay. We got to set up in our corner where it's like, this is the coach. You listen to him and nobody else talking. And, and no matter what, like, no matter how much punishment you've taken, you're able to do that. You're able to focus on yeah. your trainer. Yes. And because I love and trust the people in my corner, you know what I mean? Like, I know what they're going to tell me is what I need to do in order for me not to take the punishment or for me to be victorious. So if I'm not doing it, 
you know, if I'm losing this fight or something's going on, it's because I'm not able to follow that instruction correctly, you know? Um, so when I get to the corner, you know, the adrenaline's pumping, but I just, I take it, I'm focused on breathing, getting my energy back, and then listening to the instruction. And I don't hear nobody else. I just hear what they got to say. So you've, you've mentioned your team and the, the manager, trainer, all of these people, and it sounds like you're a tight team. How much are you fighting for you or how much are you fighting for them? Uh, I'm fighting for them a lot more. I'm fighting for my family, for them, for my community a lot more than I am for myself. If I was fighting for myself, then I probably wouldn't have been as successful because it's easy to make excuses for yourself. You know what I mean? Oh, I would have beat him if, you know, the, the referee would have did this or if, or if he wasn't fighting dirty or if, you know, my or this wasn't messed up on me or that one. That, but that, to me... It's not a valid excuse, you know what I mean? Because you understand, I know that this is boxing. I understand that, yeah, the referee could be dirty. It could, the odds could be stacked against you. But with that knowledge, you still chose to get in there. And these people still sacrifice their time and their energy to train you to make sure that you're on point with your stuff, to, you know, make sure you're eating the right stuff. I mean, I'm getting calls. What you eating? You know what I mean? Where you at? I could have swore I just seen your car over here. Where you at? You know, they checking in. You know, they checking me. They not playing around, you know, uh, because they don't want to see me get hurt. You know what I mean? I mean, almost where it's like exhausting sometimes. It's like, oh, my God, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm doing it. But no, it's because, you know, this is a very serious sport. You know, people get very hurt in this sport. People die in this sport, you know. What's the biggest win you've ever had? Probably winning the belt, man, because that was a lifelong goal, you know. And not only was that a lifelong goal, it was just everything that came along with it, you know, everything we had to overcome to, you know, get that goal accomplished. This was the WBA Welterweight Championship of the World? Yes, sir. Um, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so let me just mention a couple names who have also worn this belt. Yeah. Tommy Hearns. Yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah. Sugar Shane Mosley. Manny Pacquiao, yeah. how does it feel to be one of those people? Uh, I mean, yeah, man, it's almost like an out-of-body experience, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, hey, you know, I did it, you know? Um, and it feels good, you know? I mean, I got the belt, even though I, I lost the title of it, and so I'm going to get that title back. Once you won the belt, you get the belt, you keep it forever, you know what I mean? So I got the belt sitting at home. You didn't bring it over? I should have brought it over. Are you ah, kidding me? <laughs> I should have brought it over. <laughs> Next time. I'm sorry. You know, I got a young baby at the crib, man. I'm not even thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about what he's doing. Make sure he's good before I leave. My fault. <laughs> Next time for sure. So, in my opinion, we need to show resilience after our successes and our defeats. Exactly. A and so, how did you demonstrate resilience once you won the title? Once I won it, I mean, I used that platform to try to inspire uh, back home as best I could because we was going through some, the whole city was going through some wild stuff, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, I was talking, you know, doing some public speaking stuff. Uh, I was working with the kids in the gym. Um, 
we was doing, there's a thing called Pursuit of Discipline, which is like kind of like a leadership group that we do down there that me and my brother Rebel, uh, Tech Leg Run. And uh, in that group, we kind of just create space for young men and women, but it's kind of mostly guys right now uh, to approach us with whatever problems they're going through in life and see how we can best, best help them solve those problems, whether it be school stuff, whether it be relationship stuff, whether it be whatever. And then we also try to teach lessons to be able to set them up at an earlier age in life, you know, so financial stability classes, we got people that come in and teach that at the POD group. Um, how to, you know, uh, I don't know if it's the right word, but like manage relationships, you know, whether it be work relationships, whether it be a romantic relationship, friend relationships, you know, how to create correct boundaries. And then we had uh, uh, my wife now, at the time, she wasn't, but she's my wife now. She would come in because she's a therapist and talk about how to deal with depression and trauma and stuff like that because that's something that's hitting our young people. Well, just hitting people in general, I would say, at this time and age, very heavy. You know, not even just young people, just everybody really he heavy, you know what I mean, with everything going on. So, you know, what you can do for somebody if you know that they're going through these things or what, what you can do for yourself if you're feeling, you know, depressed or you're feeling whatever, whatever, you know. What was the most devastating defeat you've ever had? Probably when I lost the title. Yeah. That was a tough one. You know what I mean? Uh, Were you prepared for that fight? I was, but again, there was like a lot of different things going on at the time. They kept pushing the fight back. And at the time, we had to move spaces in the city. Our gym had to relocate. So I didn't have a place to train in the city. So we ended up going to our training camp early, which is in Barnum, Minnesota. And the training camp is nothing. It's a very, very small town. You know what I mean? There's like one uh, restaurant right there. Yeah, yeah, at the end of the, at the, end of the thing. Yeah. And the rest is just like, you know, pretty much houses and farm and road land, you know. And... We were up there. I was up there for like five months straight because it kept getting rescheduled and because we didn't have nowhere else to train in the city really except at home. So they kept pushing the fight back. And so we had a, you know, when you're training, you want to peak at a certain point. Like you push yourself past a level. Then you start to come down. And when you start to come down, that's when you take your break. You should be coming down maybe like two to three weeks before the fight date. Because that's when you start to ease off and then the energy picks back up. So by the time you get to the fight date, then you're at your maximum peak. But we would peak. And as we, uh, and as we start to come down, the fight gets pushed back. So then we drop all the way down here. And then we peak again, but then the fight drops down. And we peaked again and the fight, you know, got like pushed back like three times. And I was in shape, but I was mentally drained. Because yep. it takes a lot of yep. mental energy. I was going to say, that seems like physically it might be difficult, but mentally it might be more difficult. Yeah. And again, we, I, like a lot of other things were going on. Like at the time I was trying to, me and my, my, she was my fiance at the time. We was trying to not only get a house, but we was also planning the wedding. You know what I mean? And I had, I thought I was going to fight. And then I have like a whole month and a half, two months 
to help her plan the wedding, finish planning the wedding and then do the wedding. I ended up getting the fight done. And then I had like, a, like want to say a month. And then I got married again or like, not even a month, you know, like three weeks or something like that, you know? Um, and, you know, again, in the camp, you thinking like, all right, I'm not going to think about none of this stuff. But even in your subconscious, in the back of your mind, the stuff is playing a role on you. And then at the same time, uh, Dante Wright uh, ended up getting murdered. And that was my little brother's best friend. I was like oh, his brother, yeah. Oh, he was really, really close with Dante Wright. And uh, he was really going through it. He was just really going through it. I call him on the phone and stuff, and I could just hear it in his voice. He's mad, he's angry, he's sad. And I just kind of wanted to be there. You know, at that point, I was like, dude, I had to go through all this shit when I was <laughs> training for the title. And now this is like, you know, and that was, just, that was George Floyd, but that wasn't like, close, close, you know, now this is affecting somebody really close to me who's younger, who could, you know, uh, might end up doing the wrong stuff because he's so upset and mad, you know, and I felt like I couldn't be there for him the way I wanted to because we got to be stuck up here training for this fight. And you lost the title. How did you overcome that? I just felt like I let everybody down, you know what I mean? I saw I was, you know, slightly depressed, you know, I just felt like, man, I let everybody down. I just had a title. I couldn't even keep it, you know, and it was my first uh, main event Vegas fight. You know what I mean? So I wanted to show out, you know, finally get a Vegas fight on the main event. You know, I'm about to go out here and show out and let people know that I'm on that Mayweather level. I'm on this level, you know, which I believe I still am on this level. But um, I ended up, you know, losing the fight. And, yeah, it just kind of hit me, you know what I mean? But uh, when I got back, you know, I took some, I took like a, how long was out there? I want to say like four or five days with my wife. We just went up north somewhere. We just run Airbnb to cabin. Just got away from everything for a second, you know, um, relax. I got to do a lot of thinking out there. Got to, you know, get some fresh air and relax a little bit. And then, you know, I just realized, like, listen, it wasn't about the title. You know, the title was just the tool. You know, the whole purpose of this is to be able to provide for the fam, provide for your community, and then use that platform in order to give back how I want to give back. Do you have, like, a mindfulness practice, or do you meditate, or do you do anything like that? Um, You know, the thing that I tell myself that allows me to fight the way I do is that I'm not doing it for the win. I'm not worried about winning or losing. I want to make sure that this person that I'm getting ready to fight will never, ever forget my name. That's the way I look at it. You know what I mean? Like, whether I win, lose, or it's a draw, this person will remember this shit for the rest of their life. They're, gonna, they're not, you know, so if you beat me, then you earned it. Then I could tip my hat to you and shake your hand. Yeah, good job, man. That was a heck of a fight. You deserve that win. When you lost the title... It was stopped. The The fight was stopped. And it, in my opinion, and I have a biased opinion now because I know you, it was stopped early. Would you agree with that? Were you furious? or what? I was very much confused. And then like, uh, you know, and then just felt, then instantly felt that uh, feeling of letting everybody down. I was like, what the fuck? You know, what, 
Did this just happen? What is going on? No, nah, you know, even when he did, I was like, no, no, man, what are you doing? And he stopped the fight. And then I looked at my corner like, what the, what, what the hell, you know? Um, and I didn't think that was a good call. But I agree with you. I don't think I was winning. You know, I didn't think I was winning the fight. I definitely knew I had to pull some tricks out. I had to figure something out. Um, but they call those last two to three rounds, championship rounds for a reason. You know what I mean? Because that's when crazy things happen. And Butea was a guy, he didn't fight. He, a lot of his fights didn't go that far of a distance. You know what I mean? And he was getting tired. You know what I mean? I don't think he had a lot of fights at the time. No, that's what I'm saying. So I was like, dude, uh, let me do, let me, let me go out on my shield. My family's in my corner. They'll stop the fight. They even told me in the corner, like, you better start showing us a lot more. Otherwise we might have to stop this fight on. So I'm like, I'm about to give it my all. You know what I mean? And then he did that. So that was, you know, that was kind of hurtful. I didn't think that should have been, should have been the call. A lot of people that I've talked to thought he shouldn't have stopped it. But that's not to say that I didn't think, you know, that he was winning the he fight. He was fighting a nice fight. You know what I mean? So like, I think for where the fight ended, he won the fight. I just wish they didn't stop the fight. I wish they would have allowed us to keep going, yeah. you know? Yeah, I agree with that. You're the champ. Yeah, man, you got to, you know what I mean? Let me get knocked out. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Let yeah. me let me hit the ground or yeah. something. Let me be taking some punishment for you to stop it, and I'm not even getting hit. So the first time you ever get punched really hard, what was that like? Oh, uh, yeah, man, you don't forget those. <laughs> You, don't you, you might have been eight years old when that happened. Two times, actually. I'll tell you two times. First time, you know, because again, I was, I started young. I was a little bit of a steamer. Uh, I knew how to, I knew how to, you know, I learned how to box. So I knew how to fight a little bit. So I was in there sparring this kid. He was a little bigger than me, but I was in there, you know, just beating him up. I was about boxing him. You know, I was just pop, 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 move, pop, 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 move. And he was bigger, so he couldn't catch me. You know, he was chasing me around, but he couldn't catch me. And I was beating him up for the first round. And then the second round, he came out and he just stayed in the middle of the ring. I'm dancing around and he's just turning and just watching me move around. And every time I come in, whap, he hits me with some bam. And I back up, damn, what the heck was that? You know, moving around, trying to act like I'm showing off. I go in to hit him with something, bam, bam, he hits me with two more and he's doing this the whole round. And I think I had to be like six at the time and now I'm getting frustrated, you know, cause I'm like, what the heck, you know? Every time I try to go in there, he's hitting me with something. And after this happening about six or seven times, I got so mad that I threw my gloves off and I run and I jumped on the kid. You know, I got my, I got my hands around his neck and he's looking at me and then he just starts punching me. Bam, bam, bam. So he's punching me and I got him on the ground while I'm choking him. My head's flying back. And then, you know, the guys jump in, they pull me off. And, you know, they're like, you can't lose your cool. You know, that's why, you know, you just get beat up in there because you're losing your cool. Um, so that was one of the, you know, more memorable, funny things. And then when I really got hit hard is when I was a little bit older. Uh, I was like a young teen. And I was in there sparring. And uh, I was sparring uh, kind of an older dude, though, our older teen. And we was working. He was working smooth with me but I was kind of catching them with some stuff, you know, cause I've been in the gym since I was a kid. So I was very skilled even at a young age. So I get in with older guys and I'd be able to beat them up a little bit. And I was beating them up a little bit, but he kind of got, you know, he, I was like, man, this little dude ain't going to get the best of me. I don't care. He's younger. You know, you have to show me some respect, you know, so I'm beating them up. 
And then he caught me with a really nice right hand. Boom. And he didn't drop me, but it was one of those ringers where it's like, Ping. and your whole equilibrium kind of goes off for a minute. You see double, you know? And I was like, oh my God, what the heck was that? You know what I mean? Lights out for like a half a second back on. And I'm like, it's kind of like stuck. And I just see him kind of like with his hands down, kind of stepping back a little bit because he knew he just cracked the mess out of me. you know. And that was very memorable. And then I got three for you. And then the body shot one. When I, when I first got dropped with a body shot, that's when I knew that's the shot I want to master right there is the body shots because I was beating this dude up. And this was sparring too. Uh, and he just hit me with a nice left hook to the body, man. And I, boom, I fell down. And I'm rolling around the ring, trying to breathe, you know, finally catch a breath. I get out the ring. I'm like, what the hell was that? Man, I ain't never felt that type of pain, you know? And it was just paralyzed. Right after that, I was like, I'm about to go do some sit-ups. I'm about to go do some crunches. I'm about to go do some body hardening exercises. Like, I don't, I want my stuff to be rock solid so I don't ever feel that again. You mentioned a word that I think is really important, and that's courage. And I've been teaching my my kids, so I've got two daughters, almost five and seven, and we've been talking about courage. And I mentioned to them that courage is not the absence of fear. Right. There's the presence of fear, but you do it anyway. Right. And it sounds like that's a pretty similar definition to how you would define courage or bravery. Exactly. Yep. Now, I mean, in my present definition, that's exactly what it is, is the fear is there. You have to overcome it. Yeah. It's doing, you know, it's getting in there and doing something that you, you know, you're afraid to do. Not that you don't want to do. Yeah. You know, you do something you don't want to do. That's more of a discipline. I know I got to do this. Let me go ahead and do it. Doing something that you're kind of afraid to do is being courageous because yeah. it could be, you know, because you're scared to do it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and that's what, you know, you know, boxers have a lot of courage. Anybody that, you know, is in any type of, uh, physical contact sport like that, you know, has to have courage because you go, you know that this person is coming in here to hurt you. You know that they're coming in here to inflict pain on you. It seems like, well, I have this theory that uh, resilience is, we're both born with a certain amount of resilience and then there's resilience that's developed. I wonder if you agree with that. And it seems like Based on how you talked about yourself as a uh, boy, you had quite a bit of resilience. You were born with quite a bit of resilience. And so is my theory right? And then if, if it is, how have you throughout your life developed your resilience? Yeah, I definitely agree with it. I think your environment either feeds your resilience or breaks it down for you. Um. I, was, I felt like I was born with it, and then I was put into an environment that fed it. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, you lost a fight. You know, suck it up, man. You'll be all right. You just got to get better here, you know. Come back. Let's get it. You know, I lose a fight. Uh, there was one guy I fought, man, amateurs, like seven times. Like, lost twice to him, and then after that, I just beat him up every time because I went back, fixed what I needed to fix, overcame the fear of it, and went going, you know. And even outside the ring, you know what I mean? Oh, you fell off. You, you, with every kid, you fall off the bike. Well, are you scared to ride a bike? You're not going to never ride a bike again, you know? Get back on the bike, you know? Um, I think 
when you fail at something, that's like that moment in time that can allow, you know, yourself to either be resilient in it and get back on it, or if you quit, then you quit. But as a kid, I think the environment helps you build because as a kid, you don't really know. So if your people are around you pushing you, like, get back on there, you're going to do it. You'll be all right. Then you do it and you see that you can do it. Then that's your whole philosophy on your approach to the rest of your life. When you fail, you're like, oh, I learned from it. I'm going to try it again, though, you know, where if something happens you're like yeah i told you not to do it you still you can't do it you know that's why you need to just go in here and do this or then i can kind of start to eat away at it because you know the resilience that they're born with you know and but yeah like you said man that's what i I agree with you i think we're all born with an amount of resilience and i think depending on your environment and your family or whatever they either help you build that up or they or they take away from I couldn't agree more. And, you know, as a father, that's something that I'm trying to build in with my girls. And it's really easy to, you know, see them fail or see them fall down and scoop them up and baby them. But I try to resist that and say, okay, brush it off. You're okay. Unless they're really hurt. And then, you, you know, you, you have to take different measures. So that's where I'd like to end the interview. You're a new father. Congratulations. Thank you. That's thank so you. exciting. And I'm so excited for you because it's an amazing journey and you're just starting. How are you going to approach resilience with your son being a father? I think the same way, you know, uh, it was approached to me, you know, just be there for him as best I can. And when he fails, you know, be like, oh, you know, what would you learn from me? He'd be all right. And, you know, my whole philosophy is a loss. It's never really a loss. It's a lesson if you allow it to teach you. You know, so if you're allowed to teach you, there wasn't a loss, you learn something. But if you just didn't learn nothing from it and you all, you know, crying about the loss, but yeah, loss. Now you're in the loser's club, you know. Nah, man, suck it up, you know. So that's how I hope to approach it. And like you said, if it's too heavy, then, you know, be that hand there for, you know, reaffirm that everything is all right, ain't the end of the world. But I don't want him to be scared to do anything or try anything, you know, because I I wasn't, you know, I knew what I shouldn't do, which was dangerous. I don't want to try that. I know that's dangerous, but the things that sounded like I wanted to try, it was fun. I was allowed to try. Great conversation. Thank you for your time, Shango, and thank you for being a genius. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses and thanks to The Star Conspiracy for sponsoring this week's show. We'll be back next week when I interview Devin Moore, the author of the book Devin Speaks Up and a first year student at the University of Maryland. Devin talks about the devastation he felt when he was bullied as a 14 year old. He shares how that experience motivated him to write a book about anti-bullying and stand up for other victims through his organization Race to Speak Up. Thanks to Richard Jocelyn for producing this show. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.